Yeah. I'm having a real struggle right now. I'm trying to open my thinking putty, but I don't want to rip all my fingernails off. Because <laughs> I tend to do that. Yeah. So I'm trying to go slow, and then every time I make some progress... It closes I on slide. the other side. Yeah. <laughs> hey, how are you? Uh, I'm not too bad. How, how was your birthday? It was alright. I mean, as you know, much fun as a quarantine birthday can be. I'm going to have mine in a couple weeks, so I'll be able to... <laughs> I'll be able to be with you there. I'm actually going to go to work on my birthday, so that I will be at work on my birthday on top of being in quarantine. Oh, boy. Well, hey, welcome to The Strange and Unusual, where we discuss The Strange and Unusual. This is episode 54 of our series, Seeking Out the Weird, the Unexplained, and the Devious from Around the World. I'm Casey, and I'm clearly Boring Roya. What? I've been up since like 5.30 this morning, and I'm Roya. (laughs) (laughs) Today we'll be chatting about the goings-on in Indonesia. So tell me what you're talking about. Um, I am talking about uh, the Pontianak, which is a uh, cryptid sort of legend from the area fun so actually uniquely um the only creature that i've ever heard that has a city named after it what is it the pontiac pontianac pontianac not a car no not a pontiac okay what are you talking Uh, about i'm talking about dead people and everyone was shocked bitch you did three true crimes in a row shut up so who's going first Well, I'm talking about dead bodies. How bad is yours? I mean, I guess I talk about some heavy stuff, so I can go first. Mine is a celebration of death, so I guess it's not too bad. (laughs) So, like I said it before, I am talking about the Pontianak, which is also known as the Kuntilanak. Basically, Ponti roughly translates to tall tree in Malay, and Anak translates to child. Uh, the Pontianak are solely female beings with long black hair, sharp pointed fingers, and they're often depicted with completely white eyes. That's um, creepy. Right? Like, can you imagine? And, like, there's some videos that I watched of, like, Pontianak sightings from Indonesia, and, like, even, like, real or fake or whatever, like, seeing how they are placed into these videos they're super unsettling and creepy and weird like um they are often seen wearing long flowing white robes or dresses uh when a pontianak is nearby there are several telltale signs and sounds so so one of the things i was reading is that there's a sudden distinct floral scent specifically plumeria which is often used as a flower to decorate cemeteries and burial sites in the area and the floral scent will suddenly change to the scent of decay the closer you get to the being hmm. so they're they are also associated with the sound of babies crying um specifically in isolated areas so areas where it wouldn't be normal to hear a baby crying like if you're walking past an apartment, it makes sense to maybe hear a baby crying at night. Mm-hmm. If you're in the middle of the woods, it doesn't make as much sense to hear a baby crying. Right. And not unlike La Llorona, the 
distance of the cry is not relative to how close the Pontianok is. The softer the cry, the closer the being is. So the further it sounds away, the closer that she is. So the story of the Pontianok is that she is the monster or spirit that is the direct result of a woman dying during or shortly after childbirth or while pregnant. Now, not all women who die while pregnant or during childbirth become a Pontianak. No, no. For a woman, a woman to become one, they must first experience sexual violence, physical violence, or outright murder while pregnant or around the time of the child's birth. Well, that's right. Let's uh, punish women for their, you know, sexual abuse. So the, well, hang on to that idea. Okay. So the Pontianok is actively seeking revenge on those who were involved with her death and um, continue to survive after. She seeks nourishment in human blood and organs, specifically men and children. Get it. Uh, These female creatures live in very tall trees deep in the jungle. And some things I found said that they specifically live in banana trees. Oh, that's fun. And that they will attach, like, a banana tree will become their home, almost like a dryad. Okay. And that if you realize that a Pontianac is nearby, or, like, is living in that banana tree, the way to keep them away from you and your family is to take one of the leaves of that banana tree And so banana trees, uh, banana leaves have this long red string in the middle Mm -hmm. that you can pull out. And so basically to keep them away, you take one of the leaves and you pull that red string out and then you lay it at the foot of your bed. And it's supposed to keep her away because she thinks that like that's a safe, a safe place. That's part of her home or something. Yeah. Yeah. And the Pontianok are shapeshifters. And they are able to hide their true form from people by taking the form of a beautiful woman and enticing people closer. It's the same idea as like the crying baby is that it's a a ploy to get people to come closer and further into the jungle because the baby sounds further away. And so they're innately trying to go and help it. Mm hmm. So when they show their true form, they are often seen with a more grayed face, often depicted with scars or cracks in the skin around her eyes and mouth. Um, the Pontianok is not only a spirit slash monster trapped between alive and dead. She is also a creature and a person trapped between two different belief systems. So Islam arrived in the area in the 9th century via trading but didn't really take hold in the area until the 12th century. Of course, when you introduce a new religion to an area and expect them to just convert, there's going to be some issues. So one of the main issues resulted in the Pontianok. Um, So at the time, and still to this day, Islam is very heteropatriarchal when it comes to women. You don't say... It's slowly starting to improve in some areas, but there's still a lot of room. A wife is a possession of her husband. While the Malay people had much more of an egalitarian view on men and women, viewing them more as equals. However, both groups understood that pregnancy, childbirth, and motherhood are unique experiences. The Pontianak is both seductive and terrifying. She is both feminine and monstrous. Goals. When they separate from their human form, 
They represent strength while also cruelty. They can scale trees, you know, faster than any other creature. And some of them have even reported to be be able to fly. So a nail or a stake driven into the back of a Pontianak's neck subdues the being and turns her back into a human. However, this also makes her the loyal slave to the person who put the nail in her body, reverting her back to her quiet, feminine, dutiful mother that women are intended to be. (laughs) However, if the nail is removed, she will revert back into a Pontianak instantly. The nail, however, cannot be removed by her. So at the top of the segment, I mentioned that there's a whole ass city named after the Pontianak. This area of the island of Borneo was reportedly occupied almost exclusively by these women. When a man of Arab descent was given a section of the island as a gift, he came to settle it and became the first sultan of the area. However, the Pontianaks of the woods did not appreciate the new settlers. Colonizers? Does that count if the people aren't white? They still colonize. Uh, I mean, yes, they're they're colonizing. They're colonizers. Being that they didn't like the new settlers being there and began to harass and attack the village. The sultan, according to legend, fired a loud cannon and scared away all the Pontianak. He then ordered all the tall trees that the Pontianaks called home to be cut down so they would no longer come close to the village to attack. Ooh. The real story is believed to be that the Arab nobleman was sent there to create a city in order to defend the nearby and hugely important Kapuas River Delta from pirates. Um, Because there's just a huge river delta. Think of like the Nile that just sort of cuts this island in half. And so it's a hugely important port for anyone trying to seek further entrance into the island. Uh, This legend continues to this day as a cautionary tale of the dangers of pregnancy, but also what could happen to a man if he hurt or murdered a pregnant woman. He could incur the wrath of a Pontianak. I think this is also kind of a sad yet somehow also uh, empowering feminist monster icon. I love it. When she has what has been put on her as her sole purpose ripped away from her, she is then free. She's strong. She's fast. She's independent, and she answers to no man. The only way to tame her again is through violent subjugation and slavery, something she's not able to shed again without intervention of those who put her there in the first place. Yet as soon as that nail is removed, she has no desire to remain quiet and submissive. She wants to run free and to be strong again as soon as she's able. She doesn't stick around with this guy. Mm-hmm. she's like all right i'm gonna rip your throat out now bye <laughs> Peace. and so i thought that it was the more i was looking into it the more i was like the idea of her being a being not only like stuck between kind of life and death but also between like two belief systems of you know the original indigenous people would have not you know, been actively hurting pregnant or, you know, childbearing women out of fear that they could become a Pontian. Yeah. (laughs) And they don't want that to happen. And so, yeah, I found a lot of different, um, some stories and stuff like that, but it sounded more like they were, um, modern fiction kind of stories rather than legends. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Pontianoks, like, they are still to this day frequently used in Indonesian horror movies. Like, they are a very common uh, character to see. Interesting. And also, I, I wrote these notes, what, like two weeks ago? But, so bear with me here. But it was also, um, Indonesia went through a time period where horror movies were outlawed. They were seen as, like, too violent and just not what Indonesia wanted to perpetuate and so like all horror movies were illegal and there was one original pontianak movie that was made before they became illegal and the the monster kind of revived its uh modern kind of it 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 had a um revival when indonesia repealed its outlaw on horror movies and has been finding like a whole new kind of audience um with modern moviegoers and has become like kind of a a cult icon as far as movies go like a la um like evil dead zombies and stuff like that like sort of reinvigorating a a monster into a more modern interpretation and everything that i found put pontianox like squarely in malaysia and indonesia Despite there being some videos that people claim are them, like, in Japan and stuff like that, every, like, actual sighting that I watched was definitely in in Malaysia or Indonesia. And some of them are really, really creepy. Like, there was one where, um, and again, like, real or fake, it was cool. Like, it was creepy. Right. these, These guys walking through the forest and they walk past a banana tree and they start hearing a baby crying and start to leave because they know what that could mean. And then they go back, like they re-show the video and at the banana tree, just before the baby starts crying, you see like a woman in white with like long pointed fingers like walk underneath like from the stem of the tree to one of the leaves and then disappear. And I was like, oh, hell no. love that queen but yeah there's been like videos and stuff of them like showing up in in modern businesses and things like that and there's a little bit of a suggestion that i was seeing based on some of the videos that due to the um the urbanization of indonesia that they have uh replaced their tall trees with skyscrapers and that that's what they run across and jump between now oh wow instead of trees interesting yeah so tell me about your dead bodies well i think it's interesting that uh you mentioned like a mixture of religious beliefs because both of the things that i'm going to talk about sort of uh follow that trend of hey I, i was colonized and these are now part of our belief system but we also have these old faith beliefs also also <laughs> so also. uh so i just i was like man that really indonesia apparently really wanted to cling to their old shit it's Good for like them. they weren't it wasn't like uh iceland where they were basically killed if they didn't stop being pagan so uh well in bali there is an island that serves as a cemetery for the trunyan people which can only be reached by boat it is located on a crater lake called lake batur and it's at the foot of a volcano uh, mount abang the bali aga or mountain belize 
Balinese, not Belize. Uh, They are the indigenous people to the area who were there prior to the rise of the Majapahit Empire in 14th century AD. Uh, And this area of Bali is culturally isolated. So they're very traditional in their Balinese uh, beliefs. Yeah, so like uh, Yeah, they are often also referred to as the Balimula or original Balinese, but the mountain Balinese is actually more accurate because there's a lot of different Balimula. Uh, they are Hindu, uh, not Christian or Islamic, uh, and the but they do still follow uh, more Neolithic traditions from the Ag- Agama Bayou sect, which is a uh, sort of ancestral belief uh, with specific significance placed on both winds and stars. Their main temple in the village has a copper plaque that dates the temple back to at least the 10th century because I think it said 911 AD, but many believe that the village was there long before the temple was, so it's really freaking old. Uh, Most Balinese Hindu people cremate their dead, but not here. Da-da-da! The story begins. The Chanyan people take their dead by canoe to decompose in the open air in bamboo cages. This funerary ritual is called Mapasa. Uh, It begins with the corpse being bathed in rainwater. Uh, And then he is, he or she is wrapped in cloth, the head left uncovered. And then the body can only be taken on specific days when the weather is favorable, like auspicious days. uh, And the, family also has to raise enough money for the funeral so sometimes this body could be hanging around the house for a few days even a few weeks before they can have them moved occasionally formaldehyde is used to preserve the body in this case uh so that they don't rot while they wait there are 11 bodies in this open air cemetery 11 has like a holy significance to the hindu religion uh kind of like three for christianity i guess I didn't get into that because this is not a religious studies course and I didn't want to, you know, offend anybody. <laughs> but that's what I kept reading was that there's 11 pagodas at their temple that mirror these 11 grave sites. So the cemetery is called Semawaya. The 11 graves are covered with cages made of bamboo and palm leaves. Personal belongings are placed in a pile in front of the grave. Uh, these cages are meant to protect the bodies from scavengers including some pesky monkeys who have been seen with items belonging to the dead. You know, like their bones. I just imagine like a monkey with like a pocket watch. like <laughs> Pocket watch in one hand and a femur in the other hand. That's what I'm looking to live my life like. Draw it. <laughs> you first. So the cages... <laughs> the cages are placed under this ancient banyan tree called the Tarumenyan tree or fragrant tree. It's a sweet smelling tree. It's considered to be magical. The sweet smell masks the scent of decomposition. In one legend that I saw in a travel video, so this guy was being led here by uh, a native, um, and he talks about a man who met this beautiful woman in this village, and she says, I'll marry you if you hide the smell. And thus the tree was planted. Hmm. Another legend says that the smell of the tree lured four brothers traveling by sea. It was said that the eldest eldest of these brothers married the spirit of the tree and established the kingdom in Trenyan. But this new king also feared that the scent of the tree would lure others to the kingdom, including hostile invaders. And so the dead were 
not to be buried, but left to decompose at the foot of the tree so that the scent might not travel. Hmm. You can only be buried in this very exclusive high-end cemetery if you die just right. You have to die of natural causes, no drowning, accidents, suicide, etc. And you must be married because the Hindu belief in reincarnation, the complete life, you must be married or else your journey is not complete. Uh, If you do not meet this criteria, then you are buried elsewhere like a pleb. (laughs) Body is left to decompose with the help of nature and their pre-Hindu beliefs. The wind is thought to be a major part of this decomposition process. And once a body is decomposed, the bones are moved to an open air ossuary and the skull is placed on an altar, thus the Skull Island of Indonesia. Women are not allowed to visit this cemetery if a new body is placed there because they might upset the volcano. I want that. That's like the reason. I want that level of power. I want to upset volcanoes. Right? If I approach this dead body, I will upset the volcano. This is not the only strange death ritual in Indonesia, though. Uh, If you recall, in episode 18, I talked a little bit about Jean Stevens, the elderly woman from Wyalusing, Pennsylvania, charged with abuse of a corpse because she had her husband and twin sister dug up, where she then kept them in her home and took care of them. Oh, yeah. We liked her. We liked her. Uh, Well, I mentioned these gentle folk of South Sulawesi, but that's exactly what these people do. And Jean would have been right at home there. Uh, Quick reminder, while we're on the topic, dead bodies are not dangerous. Death is not an emergency. They're dead. Unless grandma has some highly infectious disease like Ebola, take the time you need. Don't rush it. That being said, you might not want to do what these people do, which is keep the bodies of their dead loved ones in their homes for months, even years, sometimes decades. Many people grew up with dead family members in their homes. In fact, one book that I read had a story about a a guy who was leading his white people around and, uh, and was saying that when he and his brother were young, grandpa was put in bed with them at night and propped up during the day. So he and his brother shared a bed with their dead grandpa for eight years. So yeah, fun times. But this I think I want to share a bed with my alive grandma (laughs) when she was alive. I shared a bed with my grandma when she was alive. I mean, I I think I did when I was little. Well, yeah, I was little. little. But I didn't, like, pass, like, probably five or six. I probably did up until I was about eight. But I love my grandma. She was the best. Hey, grandma, you're not listening. But hi. (laughs) So anyway, this practice stems from their belief system, uh, which is sort of like uh, many people practice either Islam or Christianity in their faith here, but they still mix in a little of that animistic ancestral religion called Aluk Todolo, or belief of the ancestors. They believe, uh, they believe, Jesus Christ, they believe that their dead loved ones are not dead, but just sick until they are entombed. They bring the body snacks, drinks, even cigarettes. They talk to them directly. Hey, how are you feeling? Can I make you more comfortable? Would you like another pillow? You know, trying to keep them comfortable and happy until their funeral. Why is there such a variance in time? Well, rich people can afford to take care of their dead loved ones for a lot longer than a poor person might be able to. Family also needs time to prepare for the funeral during this time. Uh, Tarajan funerals are wild affairs and joyous occasions for the family. They include animal sacrifice. Badass. 
Water buffalo are sacred creatures, seen as escorts who take the souls to Puya, the land of the souls or the afterlife. A three-day funeral requires seven buffalo, according to Decode on Discovery, and that would cost as much as four homes. Uh, Pigs are also sacrificed. The dead family member isn't considered truly dead until the first buffalo is killed. They take their last breath as a living soul. Uh, People wail and cry. Drums and flutes are played. People chant. There are poems read. Uh, The coffin is carried on the backs of three dozen men in a replica of a traditional Tarajan house called a Tonkona. After the festivities, the coffin is then taken from the Tonkona and placed in its place of burial. But that's not the end of that. Every August, there's a celebration called Manene. Every few years, different family members are taken from their place of rest, cleaned, redressed, posed for photos, rewrapped, placed back into their burial site or tomb. Now, many of these bodies are perfectly preserved. But Casey, you've said that climates that are arid are best for mummifying bodies. How do these bodies stay so well preserved in the humid, jungly Indonesia? Well, my friends, I'm so glad you asked. This answer really depends on who is asked. Some say they use the, quote, old way of essentially taxidermying the corpse with special tea leaves and tree bark put on the skin, or tannins cause it to shrink and become stiff. Similar to sort of the soku shambutsu uh, tree resin thing, I imagine. Uh, Thus, tanning leather from tannins. Other families go straight for Western solutions, and use an embalming fluid called formalin, which is made with formaldehyde, methyl alcohol, and water. This celebration is meant as a way to retain a relationship with the dead. Families during this time are ecstatic to see their family members. It's like a family reunion for them. Uh, Children might not know their grandparents as a living person, but as a corpse. Uh, And they might not have even known them when they were alive. They take new family portraits with their dead loved ones, stroke skeletal cheeks, Uh, You know, like, they treat them as if they were real living people still with them. Yeah. They use a paintbrush to dust them off and keep them clean. They cut the clothes off of their bodies and redress them in new duds. Uh, And then they get tucked back in with their little blankies and put back into the tomb. Hmm. There's also something called the tau-tau. And these are wooden effigies of the deceased created by their loved ones as a way of honoring them in death. The dead are guardians of the tombs, and so these Tau Tau are placed looking over burial sites. Some older effigies are like Kagatio levels of bizarre with like these big white eyes and weird funky wigs. Uh-huh. But the more modern ones are more creepily lifelike with faces that have like all of their wrinkles and lines cut into them. Ew. It's very bizarre. Uncanny Valley. Yes. Uh, But what's really interesting to me, and yes, I did read Caitlin Doty's book about this, um, is like you think about how they use this sort of embalming technique that we use here. But the embalming we do here is so that we can put them in a sealed casket in a cement uh, tomb, never to be opened again. So what's the point? Why are we embalming them to keep their bodies preserved if we're never going to look at them again? Yeah. That's my question for the... For the crowd. Tell me what you think. You don't need to have your family embalmed. FYI. Green burial. Woohoo. I mean, it's box. it's all just a, a racket. It is. The like, funeral business is like a bazillion dollar industry. Yeah. I mean, it's like, 
it's like, you know, to not get like super tinfoil hat about everything, but it's, you know, like big pharma situation. It's like, you know, if we give them so many medications that they have all these side effects and they need more medications for their side effects. Yep. And when you fundamentally look at it, I was reading an article one of my friends shared the other day about someone who is trying to another person that's like pioneering green burials or um water dissolving burials hydrolysis yeah and um different things like that saying that like even if so you have a body that you are burying under the ground that's embalmed that may never may take years to decompose if ever fully you know depending on what you're using in it and then you have all of the lacquered wood that's going to take a decade to break down. Then you have all of the metal pieces that, you know, go onto the coffin. And then you turn around and you say, well, then I'll just be cremated. But then, like, North America alone is using an incredible amount of fossil fuels for the cremations. Yep. And it's like, this isn't sustainable. Especially I mean, with even like, if you use electricity for your fires, it's still an incredible carbon footprint. Yeah, and like, and you're talking about so much land that cemeteries occupy that you know people won't want to build on or won't be able to build on for however many years. The trees that are required to make the coffins, if they're not fiber coffins, and then if they're fiberglass coffins, then they they're not going away. And like, you know, so there's a lot, there's a lot to it. Yeah. And uh, what's like you, there are people trying to use green burials as a way of making conservation space for animals, because you can use that space and say, you can't build here. Yeah. And then that's why it gives wildlife a chance to flourish. And yeah, what I, I was seeing was like a post that was, you know, what would you rather have just like a field of stone slabs or a a thriving forest? The problem that people have with that is that there is no specific place where you can go and say, this is my mom's gravestone and I can remember her here. And I think people need something like that. And in a place where a conservation sort of area, they don't necessarily have stones on the ground that say, so-and-so is buried here because once you decompose you can reuse that space and so eight people might be buried in one spot which i don't care about because i'm dead nobody's gonna come to my gravesite, so who do i care but you know like people care about that it's just like when um not quite on the same level but yeah i told you aj and i had watched uh hell satan and it's like these people just wanted to have their monument out and like in droves people were like fuck you i don't want your monument here and it was like well you're really gonna hold on to it that tight and and be that way about it i doesn't surprise me at all that people would not want to go to something like a green burial yeah but it's like it's weird i just don't understand why we need to have all the chemicals when you're literally never gonna see that person again yeah and and the box and like the you know you're never gonna see the coffin like i hope you never have to see the coffin again i hope you never have to see that person again like i hope that they never have to uninter you know for something like well and and in a case of a murder or something like that where that might be the case you know that's a different story but mom dies of cancer 
Like, yeah. there's no question. Go ahead and, you know. Yeah. I know it's, I don't know. It's a topic I could talk about for hours. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, mean, I would I've, just keep saying the same things over and over again. But. Yeah. Like, I've wanted for years to, like, since I knew that you could donate your body to science. I'm like, I don't want a funeral. Do Give me that, please. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't need Send to my head to be worked on by plastic surgery students, yeah. please. I don't fucking care. Maybe I'll finally have yeah. a chance to be hot. <laughs> i feel that i feel that lipo my head please before you send it to be cremated because that's the best part is that once they fix you up then they burn you and send you back to your family for those sorts of situations if you're going to like forensics we're gonna watch you decompose and you know you're not getting burned up and sent back yeah which it doesn't like, it doesn't matter to me like it just yep it's just a body like even even if you're super religious, even if like any of these things, like decomposition is a natural aspect of our world. Yep. It's not like humans are the only thing in the world that could decompose if you let them. Like everything decomposes. I mean, drive down the road. Yeah. How many raccoons and shit do you see in the street? Poor babies. I know. I always feel bad when I see them. Yeah, me too. I'm always I always call animal control and I say, please come pick up this animal. That's what I do. Everybody, just so you know, you can call animal control if you see a dead animal, and they will come and pick them up so they don't keep getting run over, because that's the worst. Yeah. And typically, I know in my area, they take them to the local uh, pet crematorium, and they do just like a mass cremation. Yeah, I think that's what they do here, too. And that way they can, like, if they are still alive or whatever, like, that can be handled, too. It can be euthanized, yeah. Yeah. Or sent to a rehabilitation place if they are still, you know able to live yeah yeah we've got a really good little uh wild animal rehab not too far away from us we have a few (laughs) yeah we're in such a wooded area that it's like there's the living museum there's newport news park which has like a discovery center in it where they take care of animals i have a friend who works there yeah uh and then several just independent rehabbers that keep them in their homes yeah but they have to be, like, registered and shit. I don't know. Anyway, that's the story <laughs> of all the dead people in Indonesia. Okay. Not all of them, but several of them. Yeah, I decided to look up the Tao Tao, and you're right. Some of them are just like, oof. And then oof. some of them are like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And some of them are like, oh, is that grandma? Yeah. They're, they're kind of spoopy. Like, if I saw it at a distance, I, I would have to do a double take on some of them. And then some of them are like, uh, yo. Yeah, some of them look like, you know, drawings that I did in, like, fifth grade. Fifth grade, yep. Yep. Anyway, and they stand I guess up that's like, it for me. Like, little audiences. It's, it's kind of cute. Yeah, they're, uh, they're, uh, guardians of the dead, man. They're yeah. guarding. Yeah, but they kind of look like they're, like, like... Like they're about to have a round of applause for Yeah, the like they're watching a show or, like, a play or something. Like, they're in an audience. I like it. Man, I the uh, the Western idea of oh man, speaking all right, the Western idea of the dead or like hiding the dead is such a thing. And one of the one of the beautiful BBC things that I saw about the uh, Tarajan uh, side of things was this woman who had said, "My father passed a couple years ago, and I'm still not like over it." And she goes there and she's watching these people taking care of their dead and she's like 
it was so sudden, like dad was taken away from us immediately. Like we didn't have time to spend with him because that's not what people think about doing in the West. We get rid of the body. Don't look at the dead. The dead don't exist. You know, like yeah. get that out of your face. And she was like, I wonder if maybe not to that extent, but if people took more time or took care of their dead, like even less like a hundred years ago, people were taking care of their dead in the home. Mm -hmm. and like how much that has changed our grieving process and our ability to move on so i i was like oh man that woman's story hit me right in the freaking feels yeah and i bet that like for people who have um not just like sudden parent death but like sudden loss of children mm -hmm. or you know a husband or a wife or something like because like a parent you know, it's it's inevitable that unless something terrible happens, you're going to outlive them. And, like, that's the goal, right? Like, to right. for, you know, parents don't want to outlive their children. And so I imagine that that feeling of being able to, like, still have your baby, like, in the home to deal with the grieving process and the steps that you need to take especially mm -hmm. in an area where it's not strange because is that if you were someone in the u.s trying to pull that you would be the craziest woman on the block no one would talk to you like gene stevens yeah yep but yeah i mean i could see how that could definitely help the healing process especially in something like very sudden or like someone who is a young person or a younger person where it was just like so unexpected to have the loss yeah like i said in that book i was reading uh from here to eternity the search for the good death it was like she's talking about it like this guy was like oh my brother died when he was 17 in a motorcycle accident and they like go and take care of him and the mom was like touching his face and just like loving him like her son still yeah even though he had been buried they took him out for the manene and it was like she was catching up with her son. Yeah. And I think there's definitely some beauty to that, even though it is something we've put on the Strange and Unusual podcast. Yeah. I mean, but there's there's other things that we've talked about, that there's definitely some, there's always some beauty in the darkness. I think that's why we like to look into it so much. Yeah. You know, you like to hear about the, the girl who got away from ted bundy and like you like the success stories and like the survival stories and things like that and then to hear about you know yeah what they've done with their lives since that they've you know led you know complete and full lives even if you know this still is aspects of their life that like is hard for them to deal with and things like that and everyone heals at a different rate but just hearing that someone survived and was able to come out of the other side and continue to live after some of these terrible things that people have had to endure, you know, like, yeah, there's some beauty like in both, that. We talked about how we watched the Night Stalker documentary, like the girl who he sexually abused and when she was six and she's at the end talking about how she's married, she has children, she has a great life. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah you're the best. Yeah, and I, your... <laughs> I actually don't remember because, like I was saying, um, Richard Ramirez was one of the first uh, serial killers that I really 
sat down and did research into when I was like 13 or 14. And I read the Night Stalker book cover to cover. And I don't remember the allegations of the sexual abuse to the one, the one woman's son. I do remember that one happening. But I don't remember reading about him being connected to the other child abuse um, cases. But, I mean, he was never, like, officially charged with them. They just sort of had them in their back pocket if, for some reason, the murder stuff fell through. But So that could be why I hadn't heard about that before. But, yeah, that was a really interesting... Wait, so we dropped the kitty cases. That was a really good documentary. It was. Highly recommend, everybody. Netflix, Night Stalker. It has a real good uh, 80s um, soundtrack. (laughs) Just music soundtrack. I love that they had the actual detectives on there. Like, that yeah. really sold me on it. That was really and, Like, cool. listening to the hardships that Gil had to go through with his family. Like, yeah. oh, hit me right here. And I was talking to Elise about it, too. Uh, which, just a reminder for everybody listening, Elise is my fiancé, who is <laughs> still my fiancé, has been my fiancé the whole time of this podcast. She is just Elise now. And, um, but I was just like, I was waiting the whole time to hear that Gil's wife left him. Like, that Mm -hmm. they got a divorce. Their marriage didn't survive this. And the fact that it survived all of this, I was like, and it's fucking couple goals, man. Especially since they didn't show them interviewing together at all. They were separate the whole time. I was like, oh, it didn't make it. Oh, it didn't make it. Oh, it hurts. But I liked how... She seemed to, even through everything, like this is becoming a Night Stalker analysis episode, (laughs) but like even through everything that they went through as a couple and like all the hardships and the fact that like she just couldn't be home with him working on this case. She was too afraid that, you know, the Night Stalker was going to show up. He was afraid that the Night Stalker was going to show up at his house and to but for her to still understand like no i understand that you have to do this like i'm not asking you like i i don't remember there ever being a point where it came up in their interviews that she like asked him to stop yeah or asked him to give it she up just like, asked she understood <laughs> yeah she understood that this was important that this was you know it was happening in her community too where she was from just like where he was from and you know i just that was that was just so inspiring to me because that can't be easy to live with. No, but that brings us back around to the point of there is beauty in darkness. Yeah. So way to wrap that up. Yeah. Put a little pin in it. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks for joining us today as we discuss these strange and unusual stories from Indonesia. Next week, we'll be doing a deep dive into the world of cults with a look at the order of the solar temple. We hope that you'll reach out to us with your own experiences. We want your stories, your questions, and your feedback. Send us an email at strangeunusualpodcast at gmail.com. If you're sending a listener story, we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so we can sort through those a little more easily. We do have one episode that is wait or one story that is waiting in the wings for some more listener stories to be sent in where we can do an entire episode about it. So please hit us up. 
Oh, that's it. Okay. Uh, we also are on Instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast or in our personal accounts, Royal Rampage and Calamity Casey, where we post weird shit from our personal lives. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore strange unusual, Calamity Casey, and at Royal Rampage. We're on Facebook. Just search for the Strange Unusual podcast. We are both now streaming. You can check us out at twitch.tv slash Calamity Casey uh, and twitch.tv slash Royal Rampage. If you'd like, you can join us on patreon.com slash strange unusual, where we will post bonus episodes. You can get early access to our regular episodes. Um, hopefully we'll be having some cool swag and shit to send out soon. Uh, if you are interested, you know, maybe just head over there. Check it out. We do polls for our episodes, like uh, the upcoming order of the Solar Temple episode was voted on by our Patreons. Uh, but we do completely understand COVID, Black Lives Matter, all these things that are happening, terrorists at the Capitol. The world is crazy. So if you cannot afford to uh, support us financially, um, just give us a like, rate, subscribe, share us with your friends. Uh, five-star reviews are super duper helpful and we will read them on air if you give us consent to do that because consent is important thank thank you for being a friend okay bye bye